Uh, welcome to our service. Uh, this is the uh, teaching session in this particular meeting. First of all, I want to thank you for allowing us into your private space to be able to minister God's word unto you. We'll say a short word of prayer as we get into the message today. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for those who are listening to this message. I thank you in the name of Jesus for a definite supply of your spirit for this particular session that your word goes forth unhindered by any demonic interference, that it goes forth out of my lips in accuracy and with power, that our hearts be established in the grace of our Lord Jesus and his light shines upon our path. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, this, um, well, today, let me say this, um, I'll be speaking on something that I've been meditating on for a while, and I'll keep developing this message. Um, I'll start out from Genesis chapter 18 and from verse 19. And it tells us here in Genesis 18 and verse 19. Um, talking about Abraham, uh, God had said this. The Lord said, shall I, from verse 17, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, saying that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So God was about to do something, which was to go in and judge the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God made a very profound statement here. He said, shall I hide this thing that I want to do from Abraham? And he said, seeing that Abraham is going to become a great and mighty nation and all the nations or families of the earth shall be blessed in him. So God in heaven looks into the earth. I mean, you think about this. I mean, if you as an adult look at a child and say, look, I am going to make sure I become the friend of this child. At a very early age, let's say the child is five years old, I'm going to get close to him because I can clearly see that he is going to become a mighty nation on this earth and he's going to spread globally and every single family that is on this earth shall be blessed through this particular boy or girl. People are going to ask you, what in this world did you see in that particular boy or girl that from this very early age you are saying that he or she is going to become a great and mighty nation and that you want to get into some form of relationship with him? And so we'll see what God said about Abraham that was so impressive that God said, I'm not going to do anything without telling Abraham, seeing he's going to become a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. You say, well, God had said that concerning Abraham, so he was only backing up his word. True, but there was something else that was going on in the life of Abraham that God knew that whatever he had said concerning him, so you can have three young people at the age of five, they are all talented, and they all are very, they're blessed with intellectual prowess. But then you spot something in this particular boy. And you say that he is going to be on top and he's going to win in life. He's far, going to do far much better than every other person in his generation. And you ask, so what is it that you have seen in him that makes you speak this way? And so I want to see what God said. God said here, for I know him that he will command his children. God didn't say, because I just said it. He said, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. Number one, this is what he does. Number two, he's going to get his entire household and his children in alignment with this principle. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. And what's the way of the Lord? So he was saying, he and his entire family and household will keep the way of the Lord in their dealings. And what is that way of the Lord? He says, to do justice and judgment that I may bring upon Abraham that which I have spoken. In other words, yes, I have spoken, I have said it. But in order to bring upon him what I have said, the reason why he is going to be great 
is that not only have I said it, but they have created the condition in his household for the fulfillment of every utterance that I have made. All right? So, I mean, in physics back then in school, they would say at STP, at standard temperature and pressure, that these things will be fulfilled once these conditions are in place. So the condition that Abraham had put in place, and that's our business. God makes the promises, and he tells us what is faith creates the conditions in your life through which what I have said can come to pass. Full stop. If you create the conditions, what I have said will surely come to pass. And the condition there was that they were going to keep the way of the Lord to do justice and to do judgment. That I may bring upon Abraham all that I have spoken concerning him. So there is a place for justice and judgment in our dealings. And a lot of times we have reduced the entire practice of faith to Romans chapter 4. That is, if we call into existence those things that be not as though they are, if we do not stagger the promise of God through unbelief, but are strengthened in faith, giving glory unto God, that there will be a fulfillment of it. But God also gave the condition that the way and manner in which you treat people, that's justice. And then the second thing he said is the decisions that you make when you're confronted with situations. He said that we keep that. Now, justice is uppermost in the heart of God. We'll see this. Because the way we treat people is the way we treat God. It's how can you say that? God himself said, if in the New Testament, if you, if you don't love your brother whom you can see, created in my image, how then can you say that you love me whom you cannot see? In other words, your demonstration of love to human beings and the way in which you relate with them really and truly is how you actually relate with God that is just being made manifest. Now you say with your mouth, well, I love God and all of that. But it says that's exactly what's going on. So justice was uppermost there. And judgment, which means in making decisions, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof can be death. But today I want to speak about the subject of justice. Now it tells us in the book of all right, it tells us there, Psalm 89 and verse 14. Psalm 89 and verse 14. It says, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. So David said, that throne that we come before, the habitation of your place, your throne, where you sit on, is made out of justice and made out of judgment. It's built on justice and judgment. Except we want to remove the throne of God. God is sitting on a throne that is built on justice and on judgment. God will never do an unjust thing on this earth. God will never side with injustice. You write this down. God will never do something that is unjust. And he will never stand where there is injustice. It says that when Jesus laid his life down, that God, in order to remain just, he had to justify people through the blood of Jesus. So he will never do an unjust thing. He is a God of justice. Moral rightness, and justice, equity in our dealings, making sure that within our lives there is equity, there is no sense of oppression of people that are less powerful and weaker than us. There is no strand of oppression in the throne of God. A person cannot come with songs of worship to God while those that are underneath you you oppress them with the power that you have. 
That's why Jesus spoke about the weightier matters of the law. And when we get to those weightier matters, justice is there. So we want to look at this issue of justice. And, and somehow in the consciousness of, of the world today, this sense of justice now is beginning to bubble up. In other words, people want a society that is much more equitable, much more a reflection of equity in the way and manner in which people deal and treat one another. So social justice is beginning to come into the consciousness. Now, people may be going about it the wrong way, all right, but there's something bubbling up that deals with this issue of justice. Uh, we've got to understand that why did God bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Oppression. God saw the oppression that was going on. That the dealings of the Egyptians with the Jewish people, there was no equity. And so they cried unto God. And God is a God of justice. And what I want to show is that in our interaction with God and with one another, we must understand that we are dealing with a God who is alive and it's a God of justice. And one of the uh, biggest things we can do when we say we put our trust in God is to put our trust in a just God who says that vengeance is mine. Release that particular thing to me, I will repay one of the biggest blessings that will come into your life will come in you practicing this truth we'll see this as god is a god of justice in other words in your dealings with your fellow man and interaction with people you understand that you are dealing with a god of justice god did not tolerate that's why after he delivered the nation of israel from oppression he warned them about being oppressive in their tendency. And he told them that once a stranger comes in to your midst, you are forbidden from oppressing that stranger. For remember, I brought you out of the land of Egypt on this particular ground of oppression. He told them in Exodus chapter 23, he says, Thou shalt not, from verse 6, rest the judgment of the poor in his cause. In other words, because somebody doesn't have the means and the power. Right? You can, with your own power, rest the judgment of the poor. He says, keep thee far from a false matter. And the innocent and righteous slay thou not. For I will not justify the wicked. It's still the same God. We'll say it in the New Testament. God says, I will not justify the wicked. Now, I'm teaching this because I believe very strongly that there has been a lopsided teaching on the subject of our righteousness in Christ the grace of Jesus that has somewhat created in the hearts of people no sense of being able of empathy because while we're trying to say that there is no condemnation in Christ for the wrongs that I do we can now get to a point where we are you know we lack empathy for the people that we may have hurt with our wrongdoings and we just say there is no condemnation and satan uses that in a process of hardening the hearts of people and so you can have people that have power and come to church and are oppressive in their use of power Look at what it says here. And thou shalt take no gift 
for the gift blindeth the wise. In other words, it says even the wise person will be blinded. His wisdom will be corrupted if you start taking gifts. I, I honestly believe that's personal gifts from people. I, I honestly believe, well, let me leave that for now, all right? And perverteth the words of the righteous. So, uh, the way and manner in which to corrupt any sense of justice, he's saying this, on this earth is by giving of gifts. Because even the wise person, if he opens himself, all right, to receiving gifts, his sense of judgment will be corrupted and will side with oppression because of the benefits that he's receiving. So it's not possible to adjudicate right in a situation where you have received a gift or you receive gifts from people. It says, and thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, saying that you are strangers in the land of Egypt. This tells us about empathy. And that's why God allows us, even as Christians, to experience things. So that we know the heart of a person who experiences that particular thing. So that there is empathy that is on the inside of us and we can feel what that particular person is feeling. And in bringing us into a place of leadership, he takes us through a process so that we do understand. I mean, there was once, I, I, I'm just saying this, I, I attended a, a ministry once growing up as a Christian many years ago, probably uh, much more than 20 years ago. And I was in this ministry and I just used to attend. And the pastor used the pulpits to literally destroy the lives of some people he was in total disagreement with with what they were with in with what they were uh, in what they were doing complete disagreement i mean it was so bad that he called them and demonized them from the pulpit accusing them of certain atrocities that I don't want to mention here. And I sat in the congregation then because, and I listened to the message. And while the pastor was preaching and speaking, he, he, he accused them of, of, of certain um, atrocities. And while I was preaching there, I, I, he made eye contact with me because I knew the people he was accusing of those atrocities. And um, after the service, he signaled to me to come into um, his private space. Now, this actually happened. And I got into the private space of this minister and this man of God. And I mean, I looked up to him and he said to me, um, I saw you in the congregation and um, I knew those guys were your friends. So I brought out my knife and I stabbed them. He told me this. He said, I, I stabbed them knowing you were there right in front and not at the back of them because I knew you wouldn't tell them what I said. And I made up my mind that day. Because when I told this, my friends, they, were, they broke down into tears and were physically crying. And I made up my mind. And that's why God allows you to go through certain things so that you will know how it is. I made up my mind that day that no matter if I ever have the privilege of pastoring a church, I, no matter what anybody does to me in that congregation personally, I will never come behind the pulpit and personally, I'm not saying I can teach God's word and put out truth, but personally use it to attack them because of and destroy. I mean, it's that, I, I mean, I, 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 I understood it. And that's what God is saying here. He said, look, you were strangers. All right? 
saying you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So you experience things. And that's why, I, I mean, I read an old evangelical say this, and I believe this. He said, you know, God allowed Peter to go through the depth of failure in denying Jesus. And after that, he said, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. That you are unable to be effective in leadership until you have experienced some things of your own shortcoming. Now, so we're saying that the issue now becomes in this modern day teaching here of righteousness. It seems like, well, that sense of justice in people's dealings. Uh, we're so quick to say the meaning of righteousness is the ability to stand before God without any sense of guilt or condemnation. And so regardless of what we do, we just make sure that we stand before God without any feeling and sense of condemnation. Now, that's true. But God is a God of justice. And there is a laid down process through which he doesn't bring you under condemnation except you violate the principles of justice that he has stated and outlined in the scripture, which is the New Testament. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. So we want to look at this judicial system of God and how you operate under this particular system. Uh, and you as an individual on this earth, in your dealings here, you understand the judicial system of God. And because you understand that judicial system and you keep it, God is able to bring upon you all that he has said concerning you. First Peter chapter 3 here, verse 8. Now, we're talking about God who is a righteous God and who is a God of justice. And I want to show something about him because one of the places where we see him exercise this, uh, his, his capacity as a judge is, is in answer to prayer. Now, he comes here. Now, we've just had this one track mind of saying that, well, anywhere we find the word righteous. Sometimes in the New Testament, it means justice. It doesn't mean the righteousness as we have defined it, which, which is what we're calling justification. But it's talking about being just in our dealings one with another. It says here, Finally, be you of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So he's talking about the way and manner in which we treat one another. Let us read it again. He wasn't speaking here about the rights and privileges that we have through the blood of Jesus. He was talking about the way and manner in which we treat one another. He says, finally be of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil. Now he's talking about that judicial system. Railings for railings, but contrawise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Uh, so he's talking about us inheriting a blessing from the way and manner in which we treat one another. So he goes on. 
For he that will love life and see good days. If you are going to love this life and you are going to see good days. Number one, let him refrain his tongue from evil. Which means from rendering evil for evil. In other words, refrain your tongue. If somebody speaks evil of you, refrain from speaking evil back of that person. In other words, somebody says that you're a liar and you're a cheat. Now, they, they accuse you wrongly. And then you now, in reply, to defend yourself, you say, look at this person who has a history of... So you defame the person, which means you attack the messenger to weaken the message of that individual. Now, he says, even if what they're saying is a false accusation, he says, don't use evil on evil. Now, look at what he says. Here. Let him ensure evil and do good. That's practice good towards that person. Let him seek peace. Come to the place where you are established in your heart. In peace and goodwill towards that individual. Fight for that in your heart. Now, it says why? It says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He's not talking about the eyes of the Lord is just over those who are the righteous of God. He's talking about people who deal this way. And then his ears are open unto their prayers. Oh, uh, you say, Pastor, oh, what are you talking about? We're talking about the right. Okay, okay. Let, let, since, since you want to be theological, okay? And you are emphasizing, because I know the argument, that we are talking New Testament, and in the New Testament, righteous means, right? Okay. When the Bible speaks about, in this same book of James, about Elijah, who was a man of like passion, and he uses him as an example of somebody that prayed, Three days, for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and then it rained. And he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man maketh much power available. Was Elijah, the righteousness of God in Christ, bought and washed by the blood of Jesus? No, sir. So the definition of that word righteous as used in that context is different from the definition of righteousness as used in the book of Romans in some areas. Are you following what I'm saying? And so what he's talking about as righteous means that the eyes of the Lord are up over those who show equity in their dealings, who are people of justice, who don't defraud people, who understand their boundaries, and his ears are open to their prayers. And he says, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So he's talking about actions. And that's what he said. Now, let me just show you this. To show you that what he's talking about is conduct. Let's look at where this came from. Because they, we're talking in the context of prayer. And he says, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, and his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Now, if you look back earlier on in that verse, verse 7, he says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So he's talking about how husbands treat their wives. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Now, what he's talking about there is not saying the wife is naturally weaker spiritually or the wife is weaker uh, um, intellectually or, she's, or women are inferior to men. He's saying that you have more strength. He's saying that do not use your strength to oppress your wife. That she is a weaker vessel. Use that strength to support her. In other words, it can be referring, we can use that as a text for domestic violence. So somebody who is in domestic violence is being oppressive based on a natural resource that God gave to him not to be used to oppress, 
but to be used to support. So it says this, as the weaker vessel, look at what it says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So he's talking about the way a person treats their wives, that it can hinder your prayer. And then he goes on and says, be of one mind. And then still in that same context of prayer, he now says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, which means people that treat people right in their dealings, help the poor, use their strength to lift others and not to oppress them. He says, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And then he goes on, who is he that will harm you if you are followers of that which is good? So here he's saying again, you cannot be harmed, neither can your life be damaged by any person who does anything wrong to you once your response is correct. Now, regardless of what anybody does, once you respond according to the way in which the scriptures has mandated that you respond, which is not evil for evil, but good for evil, he says, who is he that will harm you? Okay, so if Christians do understand, I wrote this here, the system of justice, we will, and this is what we're going to see, we will quickly, all right, open up our hearts when people even treat us wrongly. Look at Romans chapter 18. It's this same concept here, or Romans chapter 12, sorry, and verse 18. Same concept. It says here, from verse 17, Recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as he lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, which means don't go back evil for evil. Avenge not yourselves but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy be hungry, feed him. In other words, God says, I will step in and judge this issue. But I want you as a person to forgive that individual, to come to the point where you are not overcome with evil, but you have overcome, Romans 12, verse 20, 21, you have overcome evil with good. But this does not mean that you have forgiven, that you don't place the issue before God. So somebody working in an environment who is being cheated, it says, don't curse your boss. Don't render evil for evil. Maintain what I have said to you concerning the way and manner in which you should relate and treat him. But come to me in prayer. Tell me about what is going on and leave it on my judicial seat. Obey the instructions I have given you to treat the people and have peace in your heart towards them. Any conversation arises, don't let drawn swords come out of your heart towards them. It says, if they are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them to drink. It says, but vengeance is mine. I will step into that situation shortly. And God, he says this, avenge speedily. You know, that woman that went up, the widow, she kept saying, avenge me of my adversary, avenge me. Avenge me. And this is a major place in prayer we are just not touching. Major place in prayer. If, if a major place in prayer if we entered into this place of prayer here in our dealings one with another, 
were willed to have inherited so many blessings from conflicts in which we were treated wrongly and in some cases even oppressed by people. You take it to God. Put it in the hands of God. Act the way you are supposed to act. David behaved himself wisely even when Saul was going out to try to kill him. He placed the matter in the hands of God. God sought Saul out by himself, whichever way he wants to do it. But he says there will be a repayment. You will be settled. Jacob behaved himself wisely under Naban. God came in with vengeance and he settled the issue. God will say, if we put it in God's hands, he will settle that thing. Let me tell you why. The child of God who is hurting other people by their behavior and think that it doesn't count, the father, because they are not bastards, but only, he has to correct them. And God comes to judge, not to condemn his children, but to correct his children. And he steps in to correct them. He say, well, how, how do you know what, what you're talking about here? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll close with this here. We'll develop this thought next week. And verse 31. Now, it says this. Verse 30. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many do sleep. For if we will judge ourselves, we will not be judged. God judges. What can, how can you avoid God's judgment? You judge yourself. What does that mean? Instead of you saying that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, no matter, listen to me, when the Holy Spirit nudges or your heart tells you, you treated that person wrongly, you go and apologize. Walk up to the person and say, I'm sorry about what I did. What I did may have deprived you of your sense of self-worth. I apologize for this. I am sorry. And you, you communicate to that individual. God is not in support of us. If somebody cannot pay the workers... Then you call the workers and you tell them, I'm sorry about what happened. I, I, I could not, I can't meet up with the expectations. But stay with me through this. Once the tide turns, you will see my soul towards you. If a person has been spending money carelessly, and, and, and the, the staff who has been working have not derived any benefit from it, call the individuals. Has to be a sense of justice. Even in ministry, we must have a sense of justice. A sense of justice means that you do understand. Now, get me right. You, you understand the terms under which people serve under you. Because justice also means, in a sense, that there is agreement. If you walked up into a person and say you want to serve under that person, you are not asking to be a shareholder inside that ministry. What you have is the opportunity to learn. What you have is the opportunity to understand how results are produced. What you have is the opportunity to observe and, and come to understand those things. And if you feel that, well, you've gotten to a place where you are no longer comfortable with what is going on, you go to God in prayer and ask him as judgment, is it time for me to leave? And if God tells you it's time for you to leave, then you understand that the terms in which you came into this place was not to become a shareholder. All right? Okay? But of course, if people have devoted their lives and that's their only means of living, then it's important that there is a sense of justice in the person. That's their only means of living. 
That's where they derive their livelihood only. So if we judge ourselves, then we have that. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says, for if we judge ourselves, we shall not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. And we should not be condemned. So there's a difference between the judgment of God and condemnation. When you say that there's no condemnation, yes, but that doesn't mean there's no judgment. That's the point I'm getting to. If you don't judge, God will come in. Now, once God steps in, he comes in with chastisement. And the chastisement there means that people begin to treat you in a certain way. And that's where you also in prayer should go up to God. So that your, your soul doesn't get permanently deformed with a character, which means, you know, you treat people so you begin to understand what's going on here, Lord. What's going on here, Lord? Why did this happen? And then he shows you something and says, my chastisement here. I'm correcting something on the inside of you. But we've got to understand, we are dealing with a God of justice and a God. And people should start practicing more this judicial system of God because it is real. More real than, than the worldly judicial system. Whereby if someone does something and oppresses or behaves in a way that you have been completely cheated and the person walks away, then you forgive that person. Hold nothing animosity in your heart, but place it before God. Now God will step in and judge. Doesn't mean God will destroy that person. God will indeed chastise and correct that person. You can be sure of that. But God will pay you back. God will comfort you. Joseph, God did not go and kill his brothers, but God took him to the throne. And Joseph experienced the judicial system of God. That you meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice that you step into their situation, grant them grace to forgive and to release that thing unto you and settle those controversies that are in Zion as they have done that. Step in with your own judgment and pay the people for the damage that may have been done into the lives of the people. Step into it and comfort their hearts and reward them out of heaven. And let them know you are a true and living God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. So let's look at this here, first of all. All right? We want to look at this because we've emphasized, you know, there's no condemnation. It's almost like a God who is a God of justice, who used to intervene in issues with justice. That that God suddenly has changed. 
his throne remains a throne of justice. It says here in 1 Thessalonians and chapter 4. Uh, there's a New Testament scripture. And verse 6. It says that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. He's talking, to, he's talking about brothers now. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, not any, that's what the scripture says, any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, who was the most powerful legal mind that presented justification by grace, said, we have warned and brought testimonies to you, told you stories about God, who is an avenger of those that defraud their brothers in any matter. Now, it is written as an advice in scripture that when Christians have an issue one with another, they shouldn't go before the natural law. Now, the reason why God is saying this is that he has a system of justice. And if we submit to the system of justice, uh, because even the entirety of the judicial system we have in the world came out of the scriptures. Even our democratic system of government came out of the scriptures. God is the judge. God is the lawgiver. And God is our king. The judge is the judiciary. The lawgiver is what we call the, the Congress or the National Assembly. All right? The Senate, the lawgivers that write the laws. That's the legislative arm. That's what it's called. And then you have the judiciary. That's judicial arm. And then you have the executive arm. So there are legislators there who are to write the laws, who are lawgivers. There is the judiciary there, who are the judges. And then the kings, that is the executive arm of government. Now, it tells us here that God is an avenger of such. So God still remains, understand this, a judge. Who judges issues? And when things are brought before him, no court is going to adjudicate on a matter that you don't bring to that court. Hear what I'm saying? God is not going to step in except somebody comes. He says, ask and it shall be given. In other words, until there is a request that is made, there is no motion to move even though God wills to do it out of his compassion. So it tells us here, for God is an avenger of all such. And he said, we have forewarned you. Now, let's look at another thing here in terms of this. Okay? I mean, if we look at it in the book of James, again, another scripture, James chapter 5. He was talking about people who have the wages who people work for and 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 employ labor now look at the warning this was written to christians behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields which is of you kept back by fraud fraud 
It says that you defraud not one another in any matter. God is an avenger of such. It says you've kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped and are, ent have, are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You know what that name is? It's an Old Testament. That name Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818-600-0082. God bless you. It's a cry. Now, I'm telling you people don't understand God's judicial system. Let me tell you what they do. They complain. Let me tell you what they do. They, they, they try to hit back and damage. They're working on forgiveness. But if they understood God's judicial system and created the conditions upon which God will step into a situation, I'm telling you that he will create a balance. So we want to look at this judicial system of God and how you operate under this particular system. Uh, and you as an individual on this earth, in your dealings here, you understand the judicial system of God. And because you understand that judicial system and you keep it, God is able to bring upon you all that he has said concerning you. I think I've said this before. I don't know whether it was on uh, this through this particular medium. But Peter Daniels, a billionaire, an Australian billionaire, very wealthy man. I do believe at that time where he spoke, they were just one of the three families in the world that were allowed to print their own currencies and trade in it because it was backed by gold. And their currency was backed by gold. Very wealthy family. And he was speaking about the preservation of wealth in his children and grandchildren and he said something once he said a son of his when he was younger brought a lady home and she interacted with the family and they were all happy and, and you know everything everything and then suddenly he didn't see her again and he called his son and said where is so so and so let's assume her name is Anne. where's Anne?" and he said the whole thing he said he said i hope you apologized to her you brought her into this house and family we received her now suddenly you disappear don't bring don't open up a door that the wealth of this family can be tampered with by reason of your own behavior go back call her and apologize to her for anything now he was referring to something and his new testament will get there and once we begin to understand this, we know that Christianity brings the highest form of civilization and culture. In fact, the Judeo-Christian right, faith there is responsible there for the culture that we call civilization, which is built on the rule of law and treating people right. Being courteous unto people. Using speaking respectfully onto people expressing your ideas not suppressing your opinions and your ideas in any way expressing them and articulating those ideas but in a respectful manner holding on to the things you believe to be true regardless of who all right doesn't agree with you if that is what you understand to be the truth and your moral compass you stay with it however you are respectful about it that's why you can even have you know a brother that could come to arrest the person they will even be polite as they arrest on the person they'll be nice to the individual now all this comes out which means it's not an issue of bitterness this is the rule of law now, in some parts of the world, we feel that once we've befriended somebody and he's a friend, then the rule of law, all right, will be set aside. But there they can laugh with you and joke with you, but the rule of law is the rule of law. And the, 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 the lawgiver has warned that the thing that will corrupt 
that society will be the giving of gifts because even the wise man will betray what he knows to be true if he has been compromised with gifts. First Peter chapter 3 here, verse 8. Now, we're talking about God who is a righteous God and who is a God of justice. And I want to show something about him because one of the places where we see him exercise this, uh, his, his capacity as a judge is, is in answer to prayer. Now, he comes here. Now, we've just had this one track mind of saying that, well, anywhere we find the word righteous. Sometimes in the New Testament, it means justice. It doesn't mean the righteousness as we have defined it, which, which is what we're calling justification. But it's talking about being just in our dealings one with another. It says here, Finally, be you of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. So he's talking about the way and manner in which we treat one another. Let us read it again. He wasn't speaking here about the rights and privileges that we have through the blood of Jesus. He was talking about the way and manner in which we treat one another. It says, finally be of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. Now, he's talking about that judicial system. Railings for railings, but contrawise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. Uh, so he's talking about us inheriting a blessing from the way and manner in which we treat one another. So he goes on. For he that will love life and see good days, if you are going to love this life and you are going to see good days, number one, let him refrain his tongue from evil, which means from rendering evil for evil. In other words, refrain your tongue. If somebody speaks evil of you, refrain from speaking evil back of that person. In other words, somebody says that you're a liar and you're a cheat. Now, they, they accuse you wrongly. And then you now, in reply, to defend yourself, you say, look at this person who has a history of... So you defame the person, which means you attack the messenger to weak, weaken the message of that individual. Now, he says, even if what they're saying is a false accusation, he says, don't use evil on evil. Now, look at what he says here. Let him ensure evil and do good. That's practice good towards that person. Let him seek peace. Come to the place where you are established in your heart in peace and goodwill towards that individual. Fight for that in your heart. Now, it says why? It says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He's not talking about the eyes of the Lord is just over those who are the righteous of God. He's talking about people who deal this way. And then his ears are open unto their prayers. Oh, you say, Pastor, oh, what are you talking about? We're talking about the right. Okay, okay. Let, let, since, since you want to be theological, okay? And you are emphasizing, because I know the argument, that we are talking New Testament, and in the New Testament, righteous means, right? Okay. When the Bible speaks about, in this same book of James, about Elijah, who was a man of like passion, and he uses him as an example of somebody that prayed, Three days, for three and a half years, it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and then it rained. And he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man maketh much power available. Was Elijah, the righteousness of God in Christ, bought and washed by the blood of Jesus? No, sir. So the definition of that word righteous as used in that context is different 
from the definition of righteousness as used in the book of Romans in some areas. Are you following what I'm saying? And so what he's talking about as righteous means that the eyes of the Lord are up over those who show equity in their dealings, who are people of justice, who don't defraud people, who understand their boundaries, and his ears are open to their prayers. And he says, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So he's talking about actions. And that's what he said. Now, let me just show you this. To show you that what he's talking about is conduct. Let's look at where this came from. Because they we're talking in the context of prayer. And he says, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, and his ears are open to the prayers of the righteous. Now, if you look back earlier on in that verse, verse 7, he says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. So he's talking about how husbands treat their wives. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, now, what he's talking about there is not saying the wife is naturally weaker spiritually or the wife is weaker uh, um, intellectually or, she's, or women are inferior to men. He's saying that you have more strength. He's saying that do not use your strength to oppress your wife. That she is a weaker vessel. Use that strength to support her. In other words, it can be referring, we can use that as a text for domestic violence. So somebody who is in domestic violence is being oppressive based on a natural resource that God gave to him not to be used to oppress, but to be used to support. So it says this, as the weaker vessel, Look at what he says. As being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So he's talking about the way a person treats their wives, that it can hinder your prayer. And then he goes on and says, be of one mind. And then still in that same context of prayer, he now says, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, which means people that treat people right in their dealings, help the poor, use their strength to lift others and not to oppress them. He says, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And then he goes on, who is he that will harm you if you are followers of that which is good? So here he's saying again, you cannot be harmed, neither can your life be damaged by any person who does anything wrong to you once your response is correct. Now, regardless of what anybody does, once you respond according to the way in which the scriptures has mandated that you respond, which is not evil for evil, but good for evil, he says, who is it that will harm you? Okay, so if Christians do understand, I wrote this here, the system of justice, we will, and this is what we're going to see, we will quickly, all right, open up our hearts when people even treat us wrongly. Look at Romans chapter 18. It's this same concept here, or Romans chapter 12, sorry, and verse 18. Same concept. It says here, from verse 17, Recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as he lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, which means don't go back evil for evil. Avenge not yourselves but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy be hungry, feed him. In other words, God says, I will step in and judge this issue. But I want you as a person to forgive 
that individual. To come to the point where you are not overcome with evil, but you have overcome. Romans 12 verse 20, 21, you have overcome evil with good. But this does not mean that you have forgiven, that you don't place the issue before God. So somebody working in an environment who is being cheated, it says, don't curse your boss. Don't render evil for evil. Maintain what I have said to you concerning the way and manner in which you should relate and treat him. But come to me in prayer. Tell me about what is going on and leave it on my judicial seat. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. To listen to the full message or any other message, please visit our website at www.insightsforliving.org. For any inquiries, please call 0818 600 0082. God bless you.